Ricky, 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 Ricky. Hey, man. How are you today? Good, man. How are you? I'm good, man. I uh, had a nice little day. It was it was Thursday, so I'm one day away from Friday. That's always a good feeling. Um, yeah. Then we had a press conference today. Carolina Panthers introduced their head coach. So uh, things were good, man. Let's go. We got a lot of good news. We uh, got uh, Tillis. We like we'd have to wait till after the Super Bowl. Like our staffs going in place. Everything's starting a little. Also, no matter what happens this entire year, we could we could lose every single game. We're not the Commanders. Yeah. How embarrassing. Like they could, they could try to spin it however they wanted. They could say that we were just doing due diligence. We could, we, uh, uh, we like Dan Quinn all the time. Right. Adam Schefter is like doing their bidding for him, saying that, oh yeah, well he he wanted too much money. It spooked the team, and oh yeah, um, <laughs> uh, Dan Quinn, man, everybody was coming out for him and, and giving his unsolicited advice about how great he was. It's like, yeah. No, nobody's buying that man nobody's buying that so yeah at least we ate them. them yeah for them dude they were just kind of silly about the way that they went about it saying there was only one right they could have right. at least said like we're going to do this exhaustive like whole search type of deal and, yeah. and kept their options open but when they kind of like narrowed it down that's where you run into that issue but hey you know what good to be a panther today right yeah absolutely. we don't have that issue man yeah. we were talking to our coach today who was just at the senior bowl and, yep. and watching the prospects with our general manager and oh. regardless of how you feel about either of those two people in the head coach of the gm them being there together and and <laughs> already starting the work it's a good thing man yeah and we got a jump start on all of those teams we already got our yeah. um basically our whole offensive staff it looks like uh, Evero's staying, uh, which probably means we're keeping the whole defensive staff. So yeah, I, I saw, I saw they were still um, working the specifics out with that, and, and it wasn't like a, a done in concrete kind of deal. Though um, I think I saw Joe Person tweeted out that while they're very optimistic and they want to retain Evero, they're still kind of approaching it lightly with him um, after him being passed over for three head coaching positions, including our own um, here in Carolina. So. I, I, I am very like optimistic about it too because of the reporting and the way that Canales I thought that was one of my favorite parts actually. Um mm-hmm. we could we could kinda like get into a backtrack from this point. But that was actually one of my favorite parts about the entire press conference, to be honest. Um was the concerted effort by Dave Canales to point out the the job that Evero did last season, first of all, right? He commended him and said how difficult it was to game plan and come in against his Carolina defense. It's always a good idea that if you're coming to be somebody's supervisor who is already here and who interviewed for that job, really good idea to kind of butter that up a little bit, right? Like you never want to just go into it and be like, hey, I'm your boss now. Like what I say goes my way or the highway. Come in, man. Kill him with kindness. Give him the compliments and their earned compliments. Like mm-hmm. Evero did have a hell of a coaching year, right? Um, but it, but naturally it probably stings a little bit to get passed over on head coaching jobs again, specifically for this one. But there's, there's, Ways to look at that and say it's probably a good thing. It not not it's a good thing he didn't get a head coaching job, but there could be benefit immediately from having Canales here. If Canales can make that offense better, and let's say they win two extra, three extra games, right? A better overall record if Evero can keep up his coaching job. Let's say they get another piece or two on defense, right? If he keep up that coaching job and he makes it even better with that unit, and they've got three or four extra wins on that win loss record. 
he's going to be an even hotter candidate. Oh yeah. For head coaching. So I, yeah. I think that there's a benefit from it. He may have to come around to the idea, but man, I'm really hopeful we keep Evro because he was a stud last year for us. And his agent's telling him this. I mean, it, 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 it's, yeah. it's a, it's not always all, it's also not always about who the best uh, candidate is. It's who mm-hmm. can you sell to your fan base as the That's best. Right. It's all a business. You got to sell tickets. So yeah. you got, you got to juggle all of those things when selecting a head coach. Mm-hmm. What good things about us passing over Evero is we already said we wanted an offensive coach. We that's right. why we didn't take Wilkes. Like so, you shouldn't take that personally. Also, Tepper's not the one that passed over you. We brought a consulting firm in. They had a hand in everything. So I think I don't think that he should. He probably does not feel a certain way towards the Panthers. Um, and he also, <laughs> why would you leave? the guys that you already know and you've already built relationships with for, and, and you're going to be in like, he, they're going to give him full um, autonomy over that defense. Like, sure. They're not going to eat. I don't see Canal, Canal, yeah. I mean, Canal yeah. said he was interested to learn more about the scheme and about the calls coming in and yeah. stuff like that. Like he wants to know about the operational side because he's the head coach, yeah. but dude, Canales already has enough on his plate, right? He's one year as an offensive no. coordinator. Now he's going to continue with the play calling and he's the head coach. The last yeah. thing that he wants is to have to like, take over part of the responsibility and, and the day-to-day operations on the defense. He wants to be involved, but he doesn't want to do it. Right. Yeah. So like, yeah, that is a great thing for Evero and, and the continuity standpoint too, though, man, I mean, you're talking about Evero had a top 10 defense in Denver and then they had the coach get fired middle of the season there in Denver. And he comes here, he gets sold on a whole new idea of what he's going to have here with his veteran staff and, and ready to win. That obviously kind of crapped the bed. Um, but now he's got his chance to have a second year with a team. If he's that impressive coming in off the street and getting a unit into a top 10 realm and a lot of metrics, just imagine what he could do of having an entire offseason program and, and already knowing what he has in the building. I love mm-hmm. him. Yeah. Also, I <laughs> we don't need to get this far, um, Evero, but he's still under contract. So, we can yeah, make this a yeah. happy and at the thing. end of the day, that is important, though, man. Like you're under contract, we blocked, we blocked all the lateral moves, right. right? So it's clear that our intent was to keep him here as long yeah. as our head coach wanted to. I, it would yeah. be great if there was all hugs and handshakes about staying here. Uh-huh. Even if there's not, man, there's probably worse things in the world than having a fired up defensive coordinator who's out to prove something. When the least, the last thing he's going to do is self-sabotage. Oh, yeah. His interview is the on-field results from the defense of this team. Mm-hmm. So if he does want that next step and he wants to be a head coach, which it seems like he obviously does, dude, he's going to give it hell, man. Yeah. Also, what Who? What are the openings? So you're pissed off people who passed over you. Yeah. All right, we can go commanders who passed over you. You can go to Seattle who passed over you. Like, what? the, the jobs open are all pretty much teams that passed over you. So that yeah. doesn't really... That I don't... I, I think that it's been a done deal for quite some time that um, he he had to have known that if he didn't get a head coaching job, he was going to be a defensive coordinator here uh, just because we've been fucking him every step of the way. So, yeah. Um, but I think that he, I think coming back to guys that he already knows, he already can create a system based around those guys. Um, without all that being said, let's get into um, uh, Brant Tillis because we were, we, we thought that we we're going to wait till after the Super Bowl for that. But I guess it kind of makes sense. Like, why does he have to be there 
through the Super Bowl. Like the team's already the team, right? Like they ain't gonna yeah. do any contract negotiations before the Super Bowl. So right. it didn't make sense for him to stay there anyway. So, but we're glad we brought him in. How do you feel about that hire? I love it, man. And I think that it's probably if you were to look back on all of the moves that David Tepper has made um, since he became the owner of the Carolina Panthers, you probably look at this and say this is one of his more um, high profile moves that he could have made because of who he's poaching from the organization that I think most organizations right now would strive to be similar to, right? Like that's a great, that's a great team to mold your uh, franchise after right now. Mm -hmm. They've got the franchise quarterback. The great thing about Brant Tillis, man, and here's what I am most excited about. I'm not going to pretend like I know all of his um, inner workings with the contracts and, and financial aspects of what he does there. From the way that he's been described and during these press releases that are that are given to give a little bit more information to fans, it seems like he does a really good job of balancing the new age philosophies of like analytic driven research and and um, team building and evaluation with the old school. Just put the tape on, man, and find who the best football player is. Right. And you can see that in some of the additions that they've made on their team. I think that there has been a focus for the Chiefs pretty much ever since Pat got there, Mahomes. They are constantly looking to upgrade that offensive line unit. Doesn't matter if they were a good offensive line the year before. They are bringing in pieces to try to solidify areas on that offensive line because they saw what happened when Pat didn't have good protection, right? They've seen what happens with Joe Burrow when he doesn't have protection. They've seen it all over the league, right? They used to be the thing you say about Tom Brady. How do you beat Tom Brady? Make him uncomfortable. Don't give him time. So we know that the offensive line is important, but they seem to put an emphasis on that when it comes to free agency and the draft. Um, I feel good about that. And I also think that the contract that they gave Pat Mahomes is one of the most encouraging things about Brant Tillis to me. That was a contract that was done with a ton of foresight. And that is something that I think we have lacked here in Carolina. Yeah. I think that we are almost like prisoners of the moment is how we have seen from a contract and financial standpoint. There's never this grand scheme and this looking ahead. What does, what is the fallout from this move, right? Like what does this prohibit us from doing in three years from now? How does this look in a market three years from now? And from what I gauge on that Pat Mahomes deal, it became a very smart deal for that team even though it was a record-breaking deal when it yeah. happened, right? Like, it looked like a crazy thing. 10 years, $450 million. That screams, wow, that's nuts. But Kirk Cousins is probably going to get about $45 million a year this season. And if you look at Kirk Cousins and you tell me that he's on the same dimensional plane as Pat Mahomes playing quarterback in the NFL, I'm going to tell you you're a liar. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, mean, I, I understand dry January just ended. But if you <laughs> say that to me, man, you dove into February, like, head first, right? Big splash, cannonball. Um, I, I feel good about Brant Tillis. I like that he's going to kind of work in tandem with Dan Morgan on that side, take away the financial aspect from Dan. Don't, he doesn't need to be overwhelmed. Just do the personnel and the evaluation. So I like it, man. I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. What sticks out for me with him is it's all analytics for him. Like it's all about what is your actual value and what's the likelihood you outperform that value. 
Because they ain't afraid to just let people go. Like Orlando yeah. Brown, yeah, you were awesome. See ya. Like we ain't yep. going to pay you that much money. Yep. Um, uh, Tyree Matthew, yeah, see ya. You know, you're not mm-hmm. worth the money that you're asking for. Um, Tyreek Hill, see ya. Like it's just the all these uh, contracts that we could get similar, yeah, value from as far as an entire season. I'm not saying yeah. you can get similar value to. Uh, the player Hill or you know, right, right, the right. singular player. But for if I can get three decent receivers, or if I can make that my offensive line, what is our overall sure. system? What's the analytical? What is the chances that you outperform that value? And yeah. that's from for me who loves likes math and likes analytics. That's very interesting. Um, yeah. So, and that Tyreek Hill thing is is also important too because when they did the whole Pat Mahomes thing, they had to know. If we're going to sign Pat Mahomes to that and we're going to put this emphasis on the offensive line and giving money out to that, like the Joe Thune and guys like that, we're not going to be able to afford Tyreek Hill and build a complete team. We've yep. got to, and again, that's that foresight, right? We've got to look at this and say, it is the hottest market right now for Tyreek Hill. He's clearly one of the best, most dangerous weapons in the league. What can we get for him? There's, He's going to help a team right away. He's yep. young, but they're going to have to pay him an ass ton of money. So what mm-hmm. can we do? How can we get something back from that? And it's very similar to this Brian Burns type of situation. Correct. Not that he's on the same level positionally as Tyreek Hill necessarily, but as far as what can we get in return and when do you make that move and how important is he to the long-term success? I feel better about that negotiation right now and whatever the end result is with Brant Tillis Correct. being the head of that committee. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's all it's all about what is your value, what's likelihood you uh, outperform that value. I mean, look at Chris, uh, Chris Jones; he wanted a long term contract. Nope, we're not doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're you're. And, however, and, but they got but, him back in the door. They right. kept. They, he's happy, but they did a lot of like back end on that contract. A lot of incentive. A lot of yeah. A lot of bonus. You know, deference and stuff like that. That hey, it's way over my head, man. But. Uh, there, it seems to be a very smart way of doing things that he was able to keep a critical part of that team happy enough to come and play, get paid, and not do the thing where like he's a little bit worried about getting hurt because of his next contract. I I feel good about that man that he has experience in that exact yeah. regard right now, and I think that he could come to Burns and be like, "Hey, listen, this is how I operate. Do yeah. you would you?" Let's be creative about this. Let's do something that we both agree upon. Let's say you we get you a two year deal. If you if you come back and be the Brian Burns that we think you can be, we're going to front load this contract so we take a, a cap hit in the back end. So you're going right. to get your money, but that means that next year, you know, you won't. So you just have to be aware of that, and you're going to have to play on that contract next year. But if you do, we'll give you we'll we'll, we'll change the contract. We'll um, right. We'll, we'll we'll so you can be creative, and that's what I'm saying. I like I like him being creative with that. And if you can't come to a decision, move on and we'll, we'll see what yep. we can do for you. Uh, but yeah, he's got to, he's going <laughs> to, I think uh, Brown's going to be the easiest thing. Cause it's just an extension. So he's just probably just going to yeah. get the market value. Uh, Luvu and Burns would be the ones that I um, would be the most curious about um, and what he's going to do with the receiving core, because you only got so much money. You don't want to keep on pushing that cap down. And that's what he also doesn't do. He doesn't push the cap down the road. He tries to keep everything within the contracts. There's not a lot of restructuring that happens. He in tries Kansas to City. avoid that whole New Orleans Saints fiasco, essentially, of like cool. at some point you're going to have to pay that outstanding tab, right? Yeah, because he's looking yeah. at it. He's like, no, we want to be good for 10 years. We don't want to be good for four right. years and then tank. We're going to be good for 10 right. years. So, 
Um, yeah, I, I'm really excited about Tillis. I'm just kind of bored talking about it. <laughs> There's nothing yeah. to talk about. Like, and that's a good thing, though, man. Like, <laughs> you know, a lot of times you want these front office guys to be on the back burner and not have to be talked about a lot because yeah. that means that you're not questioning them. Like, yeah. the only reason that we talked about Scott Fitterer as damn much as we have is because everything failed. And you were like, so why is he here? Like, <laughs> you, don't, you don't talk about people that are overly good at what they do if they're behind the scenes people. You only yeah. talk about them when it's glaring and it's noticeable. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Well, did you hear Brant Tillis's name during all of the Super Bowl broadcasts in the past five yeah. years? Not a whole well, lot. You know what I mean? It didn't happen. Well, they were they were talking about the players that he signed. Scott Fitter was the the most elementary about his contracts. All his contracts are almost the exact same. It's we're going to give you a four year deal with two years guaranteed, so we can get off yeah. off of you in two years if we need to restructure. We can move it down the line if we need the cap. And it's like, yeah, but like anybody can like figure that out. Like any kind of basic front office person is when you have to get creative about these contracts right. where it's, it's, right. um, you really separate yourself in my, they opinion. also like got gun shy on giving extensions on rookie deals after he gave Sam Darnold an extension on it. <laughs> like Christ, man, you, you're supposed to learn from mistakes. Not like just stop doing stuff because you made a mistake, but like, yeah, whatever. Moving on. Um, <laughs> happy to have him. That's great, man. I'm glad the front office is rounding out and we met the other part of the front office today officially. Correct. And that's, and I, and we, we talked about this before, but I think that's a genius move to let the scout because we talk like GM of a basketball team when you're dealing with 12 players is yeah. already ridiculously hard. That's right. How does one person do? How did Bill Belichick do a whole team job and a uh, coaching job? So splitting that up, we did a really good job with the coaching job of it, the coaching part of it, right? But then if you look yeah. at all the roster personnel decisions, there's some very glaring um, de deficiencies there. So maybe yeah. add a little bit too much dip on his chip. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I like splitting it up between uh, town evaluator and um, uh, contract negotiator. Right. Uh, but yeah, you want to talk about? Let's just go into Dan Morgan because yeah, let's talk about the press release. Let's talk about yeah. the conference today. What were your uh, takeaways from uh, Dan Morgan? So Dan has already said, like it's it's been spoken about multiple times. He doesn't love speaking publicly. Like being in front of the cameras isn't his um, jam. And I'm gonna I'm gonna like kind of <laughs> sensitively dance around all of this. Um, I, Dan is a genuine person. Is how he comes across. But you can tell, and I don't mean this in a negative way, man. I don't want this to sound bad. You can tell that there was an effort by the PR team or somebody else that was involved in, in scripting this conference today. There were some sticky notes left around a certain office on South Mint at the word alignment a lot of times. If you ever run into an issue or if you get a little bit lost in the sauce or if you kind of, you know, open a door and you can't close it type of deal. Go back to alignment. That's going to be your hot button. It's almost like, you know, your safe word. Like if you're having an uncomfortable situation somewhere and you look at your buddy and you're like, uh, by the way, we left the pineapple in the car. Okay. We got to get the hell out of here. Like, let's, let's do this. Let's go get the pineapple. It was almost like Dan, every time that he forgot where he was, was just like, but we're going to be aligned about it. Like, even if we're lost, we'll be aligned and lost. Like, <laughs> I appreciate that he put the effort forward with that. I do love a lot of the things that he said about um, the sentiment about bringing back the tenacity and the attitude and the grit. Talk about we want players with grit. And, and you know, he brought up the names of 
Carolina Panthers legends like Jonathan Stewart, Mushim Muhammad, Mike Rucker, Luke Keekley, Thomas Davis, Steve Smith. Um, always love that, but I don't want to fall back too much on that sentimental value because I do think that that's a huge thing that they attempted to do with Frank Reich in that whole storyline last year. I like it. Good job. Um, get everybody excited about it. But what I did want is I would have loved to have heard the inclusion of some current players on this roster. That was an interesting thing to me. That No, I, I think that it is fair, though, man, because when you talk about uh, Jonathan Stewart wants those dogs, right? Like, that's what he would call them. And you're talking about a running back and all that stuff. You got a running back in Chuba. That if oh, you're yeah, going to talk about keep pounding and you're going to talk about resiliency and you're going to yeah. talk about tenacity and all of those kinds of things, mm -hmm. Chuba Hubbard is that. And and I'm not saying that you got to sit there and say, oh, man, we can't wait to build around Chuba Hubbard. No, but they're in the locker room. And yeah. they're a guy that you were partially at least responsible for bringing to this team, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that is another part of this that you got to think of is that there are players that Dan, yeah, man, we're not going to put all of the responsibility, all of the blame or all of the glory on Dan Morgan for the moves made under Scott Fitterer. But he played a part. He was in the meetings. He was in the rooms. They valued his input enough to promote him. So I would have liked to have heard just a couple of like votes of confidence, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we want to build around Bryce Young. We are so sold on what Bryce Young can do. And now Canales yeah. did it. But yeah, I would yeah. like to hear the GM do it a little bit, yeah. though, man, because that GM is the one responsible for building that team. Like, talk a little bit about the spirit of Frankie Luther, the spirit of Derek Byrne. Just kind of include them when you're doing the back padding of Jake DeLomes and, and those guys. Um, but I, I did think that Dan came across very sincere about his gratefulness for this opportunity. He mentioned Scott Fitterer finally. Um, I think that it was noticeably absent from his release that he had worked tandem with Scott Fitterer. Talked about all the other people that he worked with in Seattle, right? <laughs> and didn't even talk about the fact that his best buddy was Scott Fitterer. And for good reason, I'm sure they were trying yeah, to yeah. keep that quiet for the time being. Like, right. hey, let's don't rub it in everyone's face. You don't want to live in the past friend. Yes. And, and they mentioned that too. You know, there's like, we're, we're not looking back, we're looking ahead. And that was actually yeah. in response. Joe Person um, yeah. asked about certain factions among the staff insinuating the whole uh, Hunger Games article from The Athletic yeah. with James Campen, who was recently let go and, and outed as the snitch of the yeah. organization. Um, we're not looking back. We're looking ahead. Yeah, that's cool, man. Um, let's just make sure that what we are doing in the present time is going to check out for immediately and for the future. That's, that's your big goal here, Dan, is to keep your eye on the prize, stay focused, and, and take all those hot button words that you were um, encouraged to say today and, and put them into action. That would be my only thing, man. I, I've got to see action before I completely buy into the Dan Morgan stuff, personally. Yeah. Also, we should all take that note of um, the things. Don't, just stop talking about the past in general. Like, in general. You, can, you can learn from the past. You know, just, it's like a Lion King, you know, Rafiki. Right. Like, doesn't matter. It's in the past. Um, uh, two things that I wanted to touch on. Uh, one, um, uh, so I, I brought this up that past few times, and I don't want to keep talking about what I do for a living, but we've onboarded people before in high-level situations where I do have to give these kind of, um, usually it's, it's remote, it's over Zoom, but we mm -hmm. kind of have to like coach them and ask them if they're how comfortable they are um you know talking in to new people or right. um all all these things and if, if they're not 
we have what you see a lot of the times there's like a, a, a sheet that you you literally read off of um right and it, it's a it, it happens literally all the time yep. and i was looking to see if he had one and it was, i saw like a little piece of paper or and a little card yeah and i was like somebody fumbled the ball on that one because he walks up and he looks lost he's like uh so uh yeah um can can i uh dave like (laughs) he just (laughs) i just busted out laughing that was so funny uh you know the thing though i'll say about that too is because it's obvious that's just not his personality right the being in in front of the cameras that is not his personality that's not his jam i won't give a shit about that i won't care how much he it's not a part of the job anything what he said that matters to me, he says the logo has to be feared again. Right now, it's not. Hey, Dan, let me just tell you right now, dude. You make that logo something that is feared again across the league. I don't care what you say in press conferences, man. Put the team together. Build the team. Let's find some success. Let's put some W's on the board. You go out there and talk about whatever you want to, man. <laughs> it doesn't bother me one bit. Uh, and and two, um, talking about the guys in the locker room. I don't really know who he could have said. Like <laughs> everyone overperformed, and maybe you can talk about Luvu, but you don't know if he's going to be back. Uh, Burns, I don't know. Like Icky didn't have a good year. <laughs> I don't know. I don't yeah. know what he said. I, I, um, yeah, you know, you're right. Like, there's not like this like glowing uh, beacon that's like, hey, talk about him. Yeah. Other than Bryce Young, but I think Derek yeah. Brown. I mean, Derek Brown just broke a record for the most yeah. high defensive tackle. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that would be the only one. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I it just would have been nice. <laughs> to hear a couple of the players that are in the locker room that Dan had part responsibility in bringing here or continuing to be here and put coaching around them. I, I think it would be nice to just remember that they're there. But yeah, or highlight, highlight the ones that got hurt. Just be like, yo, and we have those in here. And, and it's unfortunate that we lost a lot of them this year. That's Shaq's right. going to be back. Bell's going to be back. Or, like, so, that would have that been like, oh, yeah. Corbett's coming back. Well, Christensen's coming back. Like you forget about all these guys, then you're like, oh yeah, oh we're gonna, be, oh then now I'm pumped up. That would have been so a way to go. Could have done it. Could have yeah. done it. He yeah. could have said like, we're in a perfect situation to show everybody what keep pounding means. We're in a yeah. perfect situation to make people fear us quicker than not because we're getting back a lot of the backbone of this team. That's that's all you had to say. I still yeah. believe in the guys in this locker room. There are guys yeah. in this locker room that remind me of those players of the past. Yeah, I mean, sell it, man. <laughs> you know, like yeah, also, yeah. sell that a little bit, man. It feels like everyone's forgotten how injured this team was, and if you yeah. if you just and like and not making it like a uh, well, we would have been better if we had him, but instead be right. like, I'm excited to get back to work with these guys that unfortunately missed a lot of the season, but they're going to be yeah. back and be ready to go. And then that makes everybody remember, oh crap, yeah, we were a lot better than than our record because we just had all these guys out, like they were all so injured. Um, so that would have been a really good way to get people kind of back into it. They need to get, uh, they need to get in with uh, Adam Schefter because he's really good at um, selling things uh, for you. Um, yeah, crowd control guy, huh? <laughs> yeah. uh, let's go more into Canales. Canales, man, I love authentic people. I yeah. love authentic people. Uh, I hate not my fault guys. Thank and you. I love authentic <laughs> people. <laughs> um, man, like, there's so much about this guy that I like outside of football. Mm-hmm. And he just like, just exudes. Co- like, remember we were talking about Ben Johnson. Like I want the guy that says, I don't care where I'm going. I'm yeah. I'm that dude. Like I'm going to crush it. Um, right. it turns out that's Canales that's and that's Canales. not Ben Johnson. Right. <laughs> um, what did you think about Canales? Uh, very similar to what you're saying. And, and I wanted to put an emphasis too, on the fact that 
from a football standpoint, we're not going to know anything about. Look, you can watch Tampa Bay games. You can watch the yeah, passing game from Seattle. You can do all of those things, and 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 when I will, we all will, right? Like that's part of the fun and excitement. I'm kind of like, yeah, I will. Maybe not. I will. Um, I'll tell. I listen to you. I let you yeah. do the work. Um, but but so from an X's and O's standpoint and all that stuff, that wasn't going to come out in this press conference. Like this press conference wasn't about him saying like the percentage of snaps that he's going to take out a shotgun. It wasn't about his offensive philosophy, what kind of blocking scheme he was going to use in the run game. None of that was about what this was today. There was going to be questions about, this is your first time as a head coach. How are you going to handle the responsibilities of being a play caller and a head coach? There's all those kinds of things and introducing him as the person. One of the topics that we talked about so much during the head coaching search for this team was about a culture builder and about a, a guy who can get people to believe in him. Right. And like bringing that energy and that personality, that interpersonal relationships that he can connect to players. I think that's what we saw today. Mm. He makes that a, a big point of, of his philosophy. He spoke about what makes him great with quarterbacks and how he has found the success with the quarterbacks that he's worked with. And he says it starts by figuring out what they're great at. And then he builds around that, right? He said, that's exactly what we do with Russell. We figured out what was great with Russell. And I can't wait to do that with Bryce. That makes me feel really comfortable with Canales from a football standpoint. Like, what will he put product-wise on the field? is that he's going to be very aware of the players in the locker room and he's going to put them in the best positions of success. I like that. But as far as leading the locker room, he made me feel like he's going to have a really easy time connecting and figuring out what makes these players tick and what mm. their motivation is. And I think that that's really how you find success as a coach, right? Is you figure out what's important to the guys in that locker room. And then you make that important to you. And you make that important to the organization. He says here, he says, you lead yourself, you lead others, and you lead organizations. And I believe that. And he, he's a dude who is rooted in faith. Um, there will be a lot of conversation about the book that is out uh, that him and his wife co-authored about their marriage and about um, trials and tribulations of past situations with um, a little bit of like substance or, or alcohol abuse and some infidelity issues. It's great that he's um, open and candid about all of those things. It seems like it probably helped them heal and move past that and grow and stay together. That's that's cool, man. I don't really care too much about it, to be yeah. completely honest. Doesn't doesn't yeah. make me left or right. I, I just don't really care. As long as it's all genuine and comes from an organic place of of um, care and, and value for them. Oh, man, like that. I just want the person that's in charge of the team to be exactly who they say they are. And I yeah. get that feeling from Canales that he is. Um, a couple things that he did say about the football side that I liked, that I thought were interesting, his philosophy, he says, it's all about the ball, right? On defense, it's go get the ball. On offense, it's take care of the ball. That seems really simple, but sometimes these simple things are what you should base your philosophy on, right? Like mm. it doesn't have to be this overly complicated, overly detailed, nuanced philosophy. It can just be get the offense, the ball as many times as they can. And then when you're the offense, try not to give the ball away without getting some points. That's it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It comes down to really fundamental stuff. I like it. And I think that he, his, his idea of coming here to Carolina, he mentioned had very, very much to do with Bryce Young. 
that he was their number one quarterback when they did the pre-draft evaluations and that whole process last year in Tampa. He knew that they weren't going to get Bryce, but he still did that evaluation because they were in the market of possibly getting a quarterback at some point. That was his number one guy, and he said it emphatically. You know what I mean? He's mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, that, that was easily our number one guy. I believe he is the guy. He said he's got enough animal in him. Animal is one of his hot terms, apparently, um, which just means that they have that extra to them um, that when, when it's time to win, they're going to go and do it. He also did mention, though, that there were things that he wanted to get Bryce out there doing, right? Like, like he wanted to get Bryce in comfortable, natural situations. He talked about what he saw him in Alabama doing, and he says, and that's something that we want to you know, incorporate. Those are things that we know that he's good at. Those are the, that's like the idea he said about knowing what Russ was great at. He said, we would have new coordinators come in and I had to kind of be the, the go between the liaison almost of like, Hey, look, here's what Russell excels at. And this is what I would tell the coordinators and we would build the offense through that. I think he's going to be able to do that with Bryce just based off of his scouting and evaluation and what he had. He talked about it. He's like, it's almost like a bonus, man. He got a full year of NFL game tape on Bryce young, but it's still a blank enough canvas because they didn't do the things that he should have been doing, that he can still implement all that and have the element of surprise too. No one's mm-hmm. seen Bryce doing those things in the NFL. So nope. that's going to be something that works to his advantage, I think. And I think he's already identified that and is going to be very intentional with putting it out there on the field. Yeah. Um, talking about the book real fast. And people are, um, people are going about this uh, as, a, as a bad thing. And it is... It, it might... The only bad thing that I can see from any of it is mm-hmm. that you did it for a profit, like you're you're doing it to, to make money off of it. Which I, I'm not—I don't know why he did anything yeah. that he did. But being vulnerable is the—and I had to learn this uh, the hard way—is that's what you want in a leader. Because when you become like when you put yourself on too big of a pedestal as a leader, people are like, uh, "Well, he's he had to, he got there the easy way, or he had never had to go through anything to get there, or he never right. you can, and you can't relate." When you when you are that person, you can't relate to anybody. So I, I, the quick story, um, just because Bob Tillis just inspired me a little bit. Uh, not Tillis, um, uh, uh, Canales. When I was um, uh, twelve twelve years ago, I uh, was diagnosed with um, testicular cancer, and I never talked about it with anybody. And it was a, it was a really trying time with me. And I kept it in, and not a lot of people knew about what I had to go through to to get over that. Um, and because I didn't want anybody to feel bad for me, I didn't want anything like that. But when I started sharing that with people that were going through hard times, and I say, "Hey, I can relate because I I did that. I went there." And it's like, "Wow, Alex, I, I thought you were like I thought you always had it figured out. Like I always I, I just didn't seem like you would have. You don't seem like the person that would have gone through something like that." So it, it it's such a good quality in a coach, a leader, mm-hmm. a um, a manager. Uh, yeah. that I think that we're missing in that point. And I think that that makes the players really even more excited than the 60 year old go to church every day, has a beautiful family, right. uh, you know, that, that kind of guy. So I'd run, <laughs> I'd want that guy leading me and I don't see yeah. any flaw in him having mistakes in his past that he's overcome. Um, I don't know how Canales, and luckily for Canales too, man, he's, you know, he's not 60, but, he probably goes to church all the time and has a beautiful family too. So like yeah. he's got that best of both, right? Right. Of like, if, if you feel comfortable because somebody's nice and genuine and sweet, then you've got that with Canales. Yeah. But if you also feel comfortable with somebody that has a little bit of grit, that has a little bit of edge, that's not worried about 
being honest and, and telling you exactly how things are. I think the Canales has that too. And that's mm. something that we lacked. And you, I mean, you literally heard it when you heard the reports about Frank Reich, where early in the year they would be watching film and he would, he'd be able to tell Bryce that he did something wrong or he'd be able to criticize him a little bit. And then as the season went on, Frank dialed back on that because he didn't want to like hurt his feelings or, or, or wrinkle his confidence or, or whatever it is that he thought would happen. But from an interpersonal standpoint, if you're the head coach of this kid, this, this rookie quarterback, man, figure out a way to be able to clearly and, and effectively and honestly communicate with him yeah. to help put him in a better place of, you know, success for the long term, but success immediately, man. Like yeah. help the dude get better at what he does for a living. That's right. your job. Yeah. And it sounds like Canales will not shy away from honesty, even if he knows that it may be hurtful immediately, right? Like, Maybe it's not what you want to hear, but it's what you need to hear. I think that yep. Dave Canales is a guy that could deliver those messages. Also, um, I'm good, by the way, right now. Like, <laughs> I don't want to see anybody's like, oh, is he, is he okay? Is he, no, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. We're good. Uh, We're all ex- very happy, though, that you are. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm good. Um, uh, it took me, a, but it took me a long time to understand yeah. that value that your past, actually, if you're vulnerable enough to talk about it, it helps other people. Like, it helps. Yeah it helps you re- make you more relatable because I, I, I had, I've, outside of that, I've had a very good life. I, I right. excelled in a lot of things that I've done in, in, in life. And sometimes when you don't share the bad times, people don't think that they can connect with you about their bad times. Yeah. So, the whole social media impact essentially, right? Yeah. People will post all of the great things on their, on their social media page, but right. they don't normally post something if they've had a really bad day or something really bad is going on in their life they try to like they try to like kind of like cover that up and that's understandable too that's human nature too because you don't want to stare and and like sulk in in the negative things going on but once you get to a point of comfortability and you have like kind of done your internal process with a situation like that then you can you can open up and opening up man really does it it benefits every single person involved directly in your life Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, because you know, if, if you're, if you're, <laughs> if you can't share that with anybody, like say that you're dropping passes and like, just be better and catch the like passes right. instead of being like, yep. instead of being like, well, you don't know what's going on. And like, this guy's getting, like just on me and like, you're just adding on to that. You're not going to get yep. better. But if you like, they feel relatable. Hey coach, my mind's not into it. I, this is going on. All right, let's, let's figure that part out. Let's make them very approachable too. Right. Like Correct. there's never going to be a situation that somebody feels like, man, I, I, I don't know if I can say this to coach though. Cause I don't, I don't really want to like, mess up my standing with him or I don't want to change the way that he's thinking about me. I think that he's offering a very um, open door policy with his honor. Yeah. And I, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. If you look at uh, uh, somebody shared something that uh, um, Otten uh, said on a podcast, you heard Evans talk about Canales. You've heard yeah. um, uh, Gino Smith talk about Canales. Like, mm-hmm. And all of it kind of sounded like he was relatable. He was, he, yep. he, I, and, it, and it feels like having that book and already having that out there, that no player's going to think that you're better than them because you've also right. gone through it. Um, so right. talk about real fast about uh, uh, Tepper because Tepper says I'm taking a step back now. Uh, how uh, <laughs> I know <laughs> I know you like to hear that, but do you believe that? No. Um, <laughs> um, but so here's the deal, though, man. Like I think that the best way to keep Tepper from meddling is going to be winning. Yeah, because I don't think that you hear nearly as much commotion from old David Tepper 
if his team isn't embarrassing him, if he's not getting laughed at, if people aren't having to ask him about losing, I really think that that's what it comes down to. If we're winning or if we're showing progress and we look like a competent franchise, I don't think that he has this like uncontrollable urge to pass off a cocktail napkin with a play from Monday night. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think that he did that because he was sick and tired of seeing other things not go well. And he was like, ah, oh, to hell with it. I'll, I'll write this down and I'll give it to Frank. I, I don't know, man. But I, no, I don't buy it. And, and the reason I don't buy it is because I haven't seen it. You can tell me whatever you want to. I got a five-year-old man and I talk to him a lot about actions speak louder than words, right? I would talk that same way to David Tepper. Actions speak louder than words. And the last bit of actions that we've seen from David Tepper, the last resounding action that you're going to remember David Tepper for is throwing a drink on a fan. And I'm not saying that that's like some sort of, oh my God, what an awful human being because he did that. No, but it shows a lack of control. And when you tell somebody that you're backing off, or you say, I'm not going to be as hands-on, but you don't show it, that's a problem. And that's why I made a deal about the inclusion of that reports directly to David Tepper in that press release. Yep. And, and look, it's a joke, too. Like, I'm not sitting there saying, yeah, I like, it. I'm taking it 100% serious and, oh, my God, he's going to be so <laughs> he's gonna be so troublesome and he's going to be involved in everything. Ah, No, that's not it. <laughs> but I do think that it is important to note that he put that in there because he didn't have to, because he didn't put it in there on the Brant Tillis release. Other coaches yeah. when they were hired, didn't have it in. Yeah. It was entirely possible to omit it. I'm not overreacting about it, but until he shows that he is actually stepping back, I am going to assume that it's business as usual because that's exactly what he told me. Mm -hmm. uh, so players that were there, one of them was not Bryce Young. And he yeah. feel any sort of way about that? No, honestly, I don't. Because you know what? They had players there last year. They brought a whole bunch of those guys in last year to sit there, and Frank didn't shake Jeremy Chin's hand and all kinds of stuff. Probably should have known it right then. Um, but it doesn't really move me much because they don't have to be there, man. Yeah. Like This yeah. is the introduction of a new coach. Them not being there doesn't mean they support. They could have literally had any other kind of plans. Yeah, vacation these also, plans. These are, yeah, are these are months human beings, right? Like, sometimes we forget that just because we love watching them on Sundays and occasionally Thursdays and sometimes Saturdays if you're late in the year, um, just because we enjoy watching them play this sport, they're still human beings, man. They've got mm. families, they've got vacations. This is their this is their summer break, right? Like they're mm. supposed to be enjoying the life and and, and living the or enjoying the fruits of their labor as professional yeah. athletes. Maybe Bryce is training somewhere, and maybe he didn't want to take right. them off training to go and sit and listen to a press conference and fly across the country. Maybe his dog had an appointment. I, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter at all what was yeah. happening with him. Yeah. I don't doubt Bryce Young, and I don't doubt the players that will end up being in that locker room because I do believe that this coach, he comes with the attitude of, I want to be here. I want yeah. to coach this team. I think he's going to want that same attitude from the players. And if there are players that don't buy in and there are players that don't want to be here, I don't see Dave Canales forcing them into the equation the way that I think Frank Reich and the staff did last season to an extent. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, Icky did something that he hasn't done all year and he showed up. So, um, Ooh, that was nice. Yikes. <laughs> yikes, man. <laughs> I had to, I had to. <laughs> I didn't say it. Icky. I'm just going to put it out there. I didn't say it. 
Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, Corbett talks about that. That was too. my He's nervous like, laugh, if you couldn't tell. That, since it was a little bit different, uh, I sound like Seth Rogen when I'm nervous. <laughs> uh, but Corbett said it too. Corbett says like this is the time where we're actually just healing. Like we're not even like in our off season training yet. We're just. You get beat up under the whole season. It takes it's a long time. To bit, you know, they asked him, I think that we should uh, touch. They are filling out the staff for Canales as well. Um, they brought no. in people. Corbett talked about getting rid of Campin and how that was a bummer, but they all have cell phones, so it'll be easy to talk to him. Um, mm-hmm. Campin was reportedly the eyes and ears in the locker room for Tepper. That was something that had to go. I know that Chris Tabor caught a bunch of strays. People still think that Chris Tabor might have had something to do with it. I never really bought into it. Seemed like okay. Campin made a lot more sense because his unit was just <laughs> wailing, right? Yeah. But oh yeah, he probably got to defend himself a lot. Yeah, yeah, and it's also over and done with. So at this point, who cares? Yeah. Get him yeah. out. Um, I think the only person that we've retained is uh, Jim Caldwell. He's going to stay on in an advisory role, from my yeah. understanding. Um, but let's just name off real quickly to, to wrap things up here. The the offensive staff that he has brought with him. Um, he's got Harold Goodwin. That's going to be the uh, assistant head coach and run game coordinator, same position he was in Tampa. Mm-hmm. Um, he hired Rob Moore as the wide receiver coach, Bernie Parmalee as the running backs coach, um, Joe Gilbert, offensive line coach. And and from what I've read and, and tried to find out about Joe Gilbert, he's a pretty highly regarded and well-respected coach yeah. as well. Um, I, I would assume that Canales probably brings his wide zone um, blocking scheme for the run game, which that'll be interesting to see how – it's going to be interesting to see how he incorporates the personnel that we have here. And then the emphasis on free agency in the draft will say a mm. lot about what they think about the players that we have in house being able to execute that um, scheme. John Lilly, the tight end coach. And then the prize possession is Brad. I think it's Idzik or is it Isaac? I'm not entirely sure. I apologize. Um, he's the offensive coordinator. Now um, that is a step up from the wide receiver coach that he was in Tampa. And he also was with Canales for four years in Seattle as the assistant wide receiver coach. And that kind of, again, plays into that alignment, right? There's, if there's somebody that knows what Canales wants to do from an approach standpoint, and you hear, if you listen to some of the interviews with Isaac, you'll hear some of those stories about, man, Dave is the guy that when there was a call that had to be made, or when there was a situation where there was a little bit of adversity and we weren't sure about what happened, Pete Carroll would tell everybody on the headsets, he'd say, cut, everybody cut, turn your mics off. Only voice I want to hear right now is Dave. And so Brad Isaac, knowing that and having that confidence in Canales as a play caller and as a leader in, in those moments, I think that really translates to that continuity and, and alignment that we talk about because they're, he's going to have that familiarity on what he wants. A, coached in practice, right? Because Canales talked about it. Practice is where we become who we are. So that is going to be a message that is relayed and a vision that is relayed clearly throughout practice that is such an important part of the game, but then also during the games, even with Brad not calling the plays, because that's going to stay with Dave Canales, even with them not calling the plays, they're going to have that relationship to be able to bounce things off of each other and figure out if they're right about their gut feelings. Yeah, also, uh, just real quick, I want to touch on that, because I think uh, there's a lot of pushback on this on Seattle. You mentioned it and made me think of this. Um, well, he's not going to have Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Well, he's not going to have DK and uh, Tyler Lockett. Do you remember the receivers that were coming through Seattle? Jerome Kirsch, Chris, uh, um, uh, Chris Carson was the running back there. He was a seventh round running back that they turned into something. Like, they didn't have these guys. Doug Baldwin was a nobody before uh, uh, Seattle. Like, 
Tyler Lockett wasn't a highly regarded receiver coming out. So I think we just, we need to take a step back and and not be like, oh, well, he's going to get Kenneth Walker and DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. And uh, I guess you can't say Jason because he didn't have him there. Um, they they were doing well with before those guys got there. So let's. Yeah, I think I, pause yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And like, there's, there's always going to be the question of how much did he get out of the guys or how much did the guys put into the equation, right? And the players mm-hmm. matter more. The players are the thing that makes it happen on the field. So, like, I'm not going to yeah. do that one bit. I think, with for me, the thing that I look at with, like, the disparity of talent is going to be from an offensive scheme standpoint and from a attack standpoint, missing that big body DK Metcalf, uh, Mike Evans, missing that player because we don't have yeah. that on the roster. Yeah. And, and it's not something that's easily attainable either. Like, you're going to have to figure out a player that's if that's if that's so like a critical component of the uh-huh. offense for them, if that's how they designed this particular scheme, is that they need that to really open up all of the doors and windows for mm-hmm. his for his play calling, then we are going to have to address that. Like I, I yeah. totally think that that is something that is worth addressing. Right. But uh, Josh Norris did a segment on WFNZ with Mac and T Bone the other day, and he made a really good point, man. Of you don't need to go from worst, terrible, inadequate, whatever you want to say about our offense and our skill positions, especially at wide receiver, to the best overnight. It's not a realistic thing. You don't need to throw $25 million. And Greg Olson echoed this sentiment the other day that you don't have to go and spend $25 million. You need to go from bad to average or above average. That will make a critical impact. And, and I, I think about it kind of like from a baseball standpoint, right? Everybody loves home runs. And while I'm not opposed to going and getting a home run signing, right? Like whether it's a Mike Evans, uh, T Higgins or something like that, or you go out in the draft and you draft one of these really, uh, highly revered prospects. If they fall, I'm not opposed to that, dude. I would love that. I welcome that with open arms, but I'm also not going to close off this idea that we shouldn't still upgrade the position by bringing in the guys like Curtis Samuel or something like that, that you can get. They offer a skill set that we don't have. That bring consistency, that bring um, higher-level Hollywood Brown. They're not the home-run guys. But when you talk about it from a baseball standpoint, singles and doubles, man, they get guys on base. And mm. what we saw with Carolina last year, there was rarely even guys on base for Bryce Young to bring home. So mm. the only way that you score runs is by crossing over that home plate. you got to either have people on base on a consistent basis and have somebody to clean up and bring them home or you got to have the home run hitters. And if we don't want to tie our financial wagon to one of these free agents or something like that right now, while we build the rest of the roster, I am perfectly okay bringing in some singles and some doubles as long as we're not striking out on a consistent basis. And we see it all the time. Um, Think about when McVay came. You identify your guy that's going to work well for you. And a lot of times there are a lot of talented players uh, in the NFL that just haven't found the right situation. Robert Woods was left for dead on Buffalo mm-hmm. and, and McVay was like, no, nah, I think he crushed it over here. And they brought yep. him in. Perfect. Uh, there are guys like Nelson Aguilar was a very talented guy coming out. He's playing very, very well for the Ravens right now, but like you can more so than he did at his other previous stops. Right. Correct. Yep. I feel like every time I look up, he's going to catch me a touchdown. I'm like, it's, it's the roles that these players are being used in, man. And you make yeah. a great point about that because I think that we have one of those on our team and Jonathan Mingo, they yeah. caught, a ton of flack for his rookie year, and rightfully so, man. He had some really, like, I don't understand the game at this level, and I, the game is too fast. 
uh, effort issues, some things that are very, very correctable that need to be corrected if he wants to find success. <laughs> but we forget that he does have tools. We <laughs> had too high of expectations for Jonathan Mingo coming in, myself included. But when I've gone back and watched some of his film at Ole Miss and stuff like that, he wasn't asked to be this wide receiver one. He wasn't asked to create, and his route separation wasn't his calling card. They schemed up opportunities for him and got him in space. They knew where he was best. They used him in the slot a lot. They loved bringing him over to run block. And this is what you're talking about with McVay, being able to see like how to use players. That's all we need, man. And that's something that yeah. Canales has said that he can do, where he can identify what a player is great at and build around that. Hmm. We should not be sitting here saying that we have to completely rebuild this uh, offensive weapon standpoint. There are people on this roster that I think Dave Canales can get a whole lot more out of than what we saw last year. I'm hmm. still not going to throw the book out on Jonathan Mingo or Tommy Tremble. Those are two guys I think that can literally uh, contribute next season for us. Yeah, yeah, and some guys are built. So there's, I, I compared uh, compared Mingo to this guy um, that. Uh, I was talking to somebody on Twitter. I can't remember who it was, um, but I was uh, I've seen two guys like that up close, and I'm like, "Oh my goodness, that guy yeah. is built different." Zay Jones, when Zay Jones was playing for East Carolina, I went to East Carolina. Um, he came over. We were at uh, we were at the Navy game, and I don't know if you've ever been to Navy, but there's this like hill, and you stand, you can stand like right by the the fence where the the, mm-hmm. um, the end zone is. And Zay Jones came up and was like right up close to us, and he was dabbing us up, and you saw his quads, and you're like. Oh, yeah. dude, that dude's that dude's a monster. Right. Same thing when I went to um I saw uh I told you as soon as we got on the pod the next day, I was like, there are two guys that are just different than everybody else on that field, and that was Mingo and Chuba. And we saw with Chuba today, uh, th- this past year. Um, but Mingo is a monster, and I can yeah. see Mingo kind of being like sort of like uh, Zay, where he kind of has to slowly get there, um, because he just didn't have that role when he was in college. Yeah, uh, but now look at Zay Jones. I mean, Zay Jones when he's healthy, he's, yep, he's Trevor Lawrence's number one sometimes. Um, so I can see that sort of same, you know, each year getting better, getting better, getting better. But we don't need to be like he's the number one next year. But right. could, I hope he is. Well, we'll see. Well, yeah, maybe, but we just don't need to rely on it. And they relied on it being the case this past season, and that right. wasn't fair. He was overdrafted, and they and they put unreal expectations, and that just wasn't fair to that situation. I think, in my opinion. Yeah, same with uh, Buffalo. They draft uh, Zay Jones too high. Um, it's very similar, in, in my opinion. Um, anything else you want to touch on before? No, we man, I feel good about that. And now, so um, we're getting into like a lull almost in in some mm-hmm. of these um, off season situations. We've got the coach hired. We got the general manager hired. We got Brant Tillis on board. Um, up next is going to be these. We got the Senior Bowl going on right now. The Shrine Bowl is is actually, I think the game is tonight. That was at the last weekend and the beginning of this week. Senior Bowl is this weekend. We're going to do another episode next week um, after all those things wrap up. And I'd love to go over a handful of prospects that we each like. Um, what what we saw. For, yeah, this is going to be Alex's time. You're going to tell me who I like. <laughs> big film guy. <laughs> no, but really, I think that it's a fun thing to do because yeah. we know we can't look at it and say that we should target this person necessarily because we don't know what the free agent moves will be. Right. So the roster isn't built and all that, but it is fun to look at what these players bring to the table and to talk about what stood out, um, where we could see with the, with the words that Dan Morgan said today about the players they want to bring in. I think we could start to hone in on some of these prospects and say, Hey, that might work. Or looking at our roster, look what we don't have a lot of. 
and figure out who could come in in those realistic ranges and, and, and do a good episode looking at some prospects next week. Yeah, let's, let's shoot for a good episode. We haven't done one of those in a while. Yeah, I know, man. I'm really sorry to everyone who's been listening lately. It's just been really disappointing from Alex. You think anybody's listening right now? They probably got through the first 10 minutes. They're like, yeah. My mom is definitely listening. Hey, okay, mom. yeah. Right. <laughs> we'll put a good episode out for your mom. Yeah. My mom definitely like zoned out. She might be asleep by the time this happens. <laughs> good, for good for her. I wish I was. Mom, if you, if you hear this, I actually want you to, if you actually hear this, give me a call because I want to know that you got to this part of the episode. There you go. Dad? Dad, my dad listens to it. I know he does. He probably goes with the whole thing. But this could be a devastating day if dad Alex learns that his parents don't actually love him. <laughs> dad, do not tell my mom that I said. Do not tell mom that I said any of this. Mom, if you hear this, text me and let you know that you got this far. Because <laughs> Ricky's mom listens. That's right. And All right. Um, <laughs> uh, I feel really good about the future of the Panthers. I'm excited. Um, and uh, I think we can end it. I'm going to give it one. Let's keep pounding. Keep pounding.